2 Timothy chapter number 2, verse number 4 says this. I'm going to read this to you and then we'll pray and we'll get into the message tonight. I believe this is what God wants me to speak on. The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And I want to talk to you about entanglement tonight. Entanglement. Let's pray. Father, I love you, and I thank you so much for the opportunity to preach this crowd. I do pray tonight as I try to preach that you'd anoint my mind and help my mind to think clearly. And, Lord, help my mouth to speak clearly. And I pray, Lord, as I try to preach as uh, the Bible tonight, I pray that you'd uh, help me to understand it, help me to preach it clearly. Uh, Lord, help those in a few to receive the message. I believe this is the perfect will of God for us as we try to preach tonight. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd give me authority as I preach. Lord, help me to preach with the power of God upon my life. Lord, may it not be just a dry sermon. God, there's so many people out there just preaching old dry sermons. It's just sharing theological information, Lord. And I don't believe that's church. I don't believe that's preaching. God, would you help me with that? God, I pray that you'd touch us, and that, Lord, may your presence be felt. Our Lord, I believe Isaiah said, Oh, that thou wast friend to heavens, that thou might come and down, and that the mountains might flow at thy presence. God, we pray for your presence. We pray for your uh, person to be with us tonight. Lord, speak to our hearts and help us to do everything we can to stay unentangled from the affairs of this life so that we can please him who hath called us to be a soldier. And, Lord, I love you, and thank you so much for the day that you saved me. Thank you, Lord, for the day you called me to preach. I pray tonight that you'd just do a great work in our hearts and a great work in our lives tonight. We thank you, and we glorify the name of the Lord Jesus tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul writes to Timothy, and he's, he's, these books here, First and Second Timothy, are almost instructions, if you will, uh, for those who would want to serve God, instructions for those who want to make their life count for Christ. And I'll say that uh, the, Paul's writing to a preacher here, but there's a lot of things that just Christians who want to make their life count for God can learn from this passage of Scripture. And I want to read this to you again. It says, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him uh, to be a soldier. And there are several other things here I could, show, I could share with you. But first of all, let me say that every lost man upon this planet is entangled by Satan. Uh, they are ensnared by Satan himself. Go with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2, same chapter, and verse number 26. It says here, uh, talking about uh, the lost people. Uh, let's go back to verse 24. Paul saying about uh, Timothy here. He says, And the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient in meekness, instructing those instructing those that oppose themselves if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. I like that word repentance right there. And that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil who are taken captive by him at his will. Uh, let me say that lost people are ensnared in sin. Uh, you say, well, what do you find people that are drug addicts and they're addicted to things? What's their problem? Their problem is that they are ensnared by Satan. They are a slave to Satan. Uh, they are handcuffed to sin. There is nothing that they can do to get out of that stuff apart from being saved by the grace of God. Uh, they are, they are bound in that stuff. They are bound in sin. They're broken in sin. They're hopelessly lost in sin. And let me tell you something, there is nothing that they can do to get out of sin because the devil has them in their grip right there. Right? Amen. 
But I'm glad that it doesn't have to be that way. Amen. Uh, Jesus Christ said in John chapter 8, If the Son of Man shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Glory to God. Uh, Romans chapter number 6. I want to read this verse to you real quick. I read this today, and buddy, it blessed my heart. Romans chapter number 6, and uh, verse number 18 says this. I want to just jump over here and read this to you really fast. It blessed me. Romans 6, 18 says this, Being then made free from sin, ye become the servants of righteousness. Verse 22 says this, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. And I'm so glad that Jesus Christ set people free from sin. Amen. I want to give you my testimony for just a moment if I can do so. Uh, I was raised in Atlanta, Georgia, east of Atlanta, and uh, I went to the public school system there all of my life. Uh, people sometimes get surprised that I didn't go to a Christian school, but no, I never went to a Christian school one day of my life. I, I went to public school, and my high school was a notoriously bad high school in the Gwinnett County public school system. The year after I graduated high school, they tried to rank public schools in America, trying to find the worst school that they could find. And uh, they ranked it off of three factors. They ranked it off of teenage mothers in the in the school. They ranked it off of violent activities in the school. And they ranked it off of drug activity inside the school. And out of 91,000 public high schools in America, the school that I went to every day of my life ranked number 21 on that list right there. Every day of my life, somebody's getting beat up. Every day of my life, Somebody's getting, I mean, stabbed. Every day of my, there was not a day in my life that I walked down the halls of Decula High School and Decula, Georgia, where I did not hear somebody getting threatened. I didn't hear somebody getting threatened to be shot, threatened to be stabbed, threatened to be killed. I mean, it was like I lived in a war zone, my friend. And uh, I don't know, I've, I've never been in the military, but they say that PTSD is a very serious thing, and I believe it is. I believe people suffer from all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, if you live in an environment like that, it stresses you out, buddy. And I uh, grew up that way. I mean, I, everybody I knew was doing drugs. Everybody I knew was drinking. And by the time I was 18 years old, I was I was a mess, my friend. Uh, I was a wreck. I mean, I was I was I was two steps away from going to jail for the rest of my life. I was always always pushing the limits. I was always uh, just breaking the rules, and and I was a rebel in my heart. And I was I I, I knew that if I kept on with the lifestyle that I was living, I knew knew that there would be dire consequences to be paid. I knew that I'd be in jail. I knew if I didn't straighten up that I'd be in a devastating situation. But I had a problem. The problem was I couldn't stop. The problem was I didn't even know how to do right. I remember one time my mama got a hold of me and she said, Spencer, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. She said, why can't you just obey the law? Why can't you just follow the rules? Why can't you just fly straight? Why can't you just do right? And I said, I don't know. You know what the problem was? I was lost in my sin without Jesus Christ, without hope, without God in this world. I was a slave to Satan, my friend. 
And there was a day of one day, praise God, November 5th, 2001, at the Peachtree Road Baptist Church in Swanee, Georgia. Somebody told me about Jesus Christ. Somebody told me that He died for my sins. Somebody told me that He loved me. And I couldn't understand, how could God love me? Nobody loves me. Nobody cares about me. My football coaches don't care about me. The counselor at the school don't care about me. My teachers at the school don't care about me. I mean, nobody cares about me. Well, they told me that Jesus cares about me and they told me that Jesus loved me and they told me that Jesus wanted me to be saved and I thought to myself nobody wants me nobody loves me why would Jesus love me but let me tell you something it's true Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so glory to God hallelujah and they told me that he loved me that he shed his blood for me and the first thought went through my mind was I didn't ask him to do that I didn't want him to do that I did, I did not ask the Lord to do that. I was not expecting Him to do that. But He did it, my friend. And they said to me, they told me about heaven, how wonderful heaven was, and how glorious heaven was, and that I could go to heaven if I, if I would receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And I said, well, what has a man got to do to go to heaven? And they gave me John chapter number 3 and verse number 7. They said, uh, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And they said, Spencer, have you ever been born again? And I'm talking about, I'm, I'm crazy. I've got heavy metal music in my car. I've got beer in my car. I mean, I'm out of control. I, I mean, I am a just absolute wreck of a teenager. And they said, Spencer, you've got to be born again. And I said, well, what does a man have to do to be born again? They said, Romans chapter 10, verse 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Glory to God. And they told me all that in the graveyard of the Peachtree Road Baptist Church. What a good place to talk about the Lord. Amen. And uh, you know what they did that night? We got down on our knees in November 5th, 2001. And I got on my knees and I cried out for God's mercy. I cried out for God's grace. I got born again by the grace of God. I'm the only person I know that walked into a graveyard a dead man and came out of a graveyard alive, man. Hallelujah to God. I received life in a graveyard. I was resurrected from above in a graveyard. I was born again by the grace of God in a graveyard. And you know what I found that be funny? After I got saved, I became a new creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things have become new. You know what's funny? I have never, 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 never since that day drank one drop of liquor. Never one time. And I did it without a 12-step program. Hey, I did it. I'm not against 12-step programs. I'm for anybody who's helping anybody. But I got sober by getting born again. Amen. After that day, I mean, I mean, God broke my cuss box. I mean, God, God changed everything about me. Everything changed. All things passed away. And behold, all things became new. My hairstyle changed. My clothes that I wore changed. The places that I went to changed. And I didn't have to quit my friends. My friends quit me. Amen. Remember not long after I got saved, I, uh, got a phone call. It was my best friend in the world. God that I had known. All the way from kindergarten, all the way through high school, we were best friends. He spent the night at my house. I spent the night at his house all the time growing up. He called me one day not long after I got saved and said, Spencer, we need to meet. We need to talk. I need to meet you. And I said, okay. And I said, uh, where do you want to meet? And he said, let's go meet over here at this restaurant. So we sat down to eat. 
And, and my friend sat down, he looked me in the face, and he said, Spencer, what is wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? He said, well, have I offended you somehow? I said, I, brother, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he said, well, he said, Spencer, you, you, you act like you're depressed. What's going on with you? And I said, I said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Will you explain to me what you're trying to say? And he said, well, Spencer, you used to be so much fun. Now you're not fun anymore. Amen. He said, Spencer, you used to come out and hang out with us all the time. But now you're so busy down there at that church. You don't, you don't do this anymore with us. You don't do that anymore with us. I mean, what is wrong with you? Wednesday night used to be the night we all hung out together. But now you are always in that church. Have we offended you or something? And I said, no, man. <laughs> let, me, let me explain this to you. I said, I got saved. Amen. And I tried to explain to him best I could with tears coming down my eyes saying, I, I said, man, I got born again and you ought to be born again too. And he said, no, I just don't understand it. You know what? Me and him, we did everything together. We were just alike. We were almost, almost twins, if you will. Uh, although I'm a little bit wider than he is. He is, amen. And, uh, but I mean, we were the exact same thing. But you know what I found out? I got set free and he didn't. And so when a person is born again, they're set free from that, from sin. They're set free from wickedness and they're at liberty now. And by the way, liberty does not mean that you can go off and do whatever you want to do. A lot of Christians out there today say, well, I live under grace. I live under grace. And so therefore I can do whatever I want. I mean, there's people out there that would murder people and say, well, I'm under grace. It's all taken care of. Let me tell you, that's not what grace is, my friend. When you're at liberty, when you're, when you're under grace, that means that you've been set free from sinfulness and wickedness, my friend. And you're free to do the will of God. Now go with me back to that verse that I read to you just a little while ago. And I want to give you three points and uh, a tap dance and a poem because that's what Baptist preachers do. And uh, we're going to give you this real quick and then we'll, uh, we'll go on home. I think, is there food afterwards? I, said, I won't preach long. Amen. <laughs> Glory to God. I like to eat food, and I hate jogging. Jogging's out of hell. Amen. I was reading my devotions not too long ago, and I found a verse that proved that jogging is wickedness. Y'all want to know what verse it was? It says, the wicked fleeth when no man pursueth. Amen. And unless you've got a bear chasing you or a bunch of street thugs chasing you, you ain't got no business running. Amen. Hallelujah. And I'll stand on that till the day I die. Amen. Some of you got mad on that one. That's all right. I'm going to preach this Bible whether you like it or not. Amen. But 2 Timothy chapter 4, I find that when Jesus Christ saves a man, uh, he sets them free. I mean, you're bound by Satan before you're saved. But I find this, and this is the truth I want to get on your mind. A Christian is set free from Satan. But a Christian can bind himself again in the affairs of this life look with me in the verse second timothy chapter 2 verse 4 says no man that warreth entangleth himself notice this he's not entangled by satan he's entangled by himself that's what it says there no man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life now let me give you my outline real quick number one let me just say that there is there's a conflict to be engaged in there's a conflict to be engaged in. Look at that verse. It says, no man that warreth. Let me say, there's a war going on right now. 
And there's a war going on that ain't got nothing to do with Afghanistan. It's a war going on that ain't got nothing to do with the Middle East. Ain't got nothing to do with terrorism. There's a war going on for the souls of mankind so that they could be saved out of the place called hell, saved out of destruction, saved out of misery, saved out of despair. There is a war for the souls of mankind going on right now. And let me say that all of God's people are called. We are all called to be soldiers in this war, my friend. And I believe today that we by largely are, are losing the war, it seems like. It seems like today that the world is more wicked now than it ever has been. It seems like today that more people are dying and going to hell without the gospel of Jesus Christ than there ever has been in the face of this planet. I'm not big into statistics, uh, but I, I do study and read after some missions organizations. And, and a lot of mission organizations today are saying that half of the world's 7 billion people have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ one time. And I'm getting that from several different sources. And I believe that to be true today. I mean, I travel the world. I travel in the third world countries. I've been, I believe I've been in eight different third world countries since I've been saved. And let me tell you something. It is astounding how much ground we have, we've lost to Satan in this planet. Let me tell you that there is a war to be engaged in. And we're not losing it because there's a lack of power in the gospel. Can I tell you that the gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the, the, the gospel has the power to save everybody. And I believe that Jesus Christ died for everybody. Amen. And let me just say, just in case uh, Calvin is stuck in here tonight, that Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. He tasted death for every man, every man, every man, every man, every man, my friend. For God so loved the world. And when he said the world, he didn't specify who that meant. He just painted a big broad brush and said the world, my friend. When he says the world, I believe what he means by that is the world. So there's a conflict to be engaged. There's a war going on. And there's a condition to enter into. There's a condition to enter into. It says, no man that worth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Go with me to Galatians chapter number 5. I want to read this verse to you. I think it's uh, 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 relevant to this message that I'm trying to get on your mind tonight. Galatians chapter number 5. I think that's somewhere in the New Testament. Amen. And I'll find it here before long. Galatians chapter number 5 and verse 1 says this. It says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage, my friend. Can I tell you that there's a condition to enter into as God's people? Can I say this to you? You ought not be living for the world here and now. Can I tell you, you ought not be investing in the world here and now. Uh, you ought not be living uh, for the pleasures of this world now, for the, for the things of this world now, for the toys of this world now. You ought to be living for the world to come, my friend. I remember back as I read the Old Testament, there was a day where a young man by the name of David was anointed king of Israel. And even though he was anointed king, he had not yet taken his place on the throne. Uh, in the meantime, a man named Saul had taken his place and ruled and, and currently occupied the, the world and the, the, the land of Israel at that time. And even though David was king, Saul was the one being king at that moment. 
And so David went up in the cave and he hid in the cave and people came to David and they started investing in David. They started investing in the King David. They started gaining rank with King David. They started serving King David. Now David was not yet king of Israel, but there was coming a day where David was going to be king and Saul was going to go off the scene. And But when that day come, those people that, that, that got out of Saul's kingdom and invested in David's kingdom, they came out pretty good when David took the throne. And let me say to you today, it's the same situation now. Did you know that the devil's running the world today? All you got to do is watch TV five minutes. All you know is the devil's running the world today. He is the prince of the power of the air in the present tense. He's like Saul. He's running the show. He's running the news. He's running the music. He's running the entertainment. He's the prince of the power of the air. And, and Jesus Christ has been anointed king, although he has not yet taken his throne on this planet yet, my friend. And look, we're like those who are going to David, going to the cave, investing in, in the King Jesus, investing in King Jesus, gaining rank with King Jesus. And when we get there, when Jesus comes and takes His his place on the throne of earth, we're going to be doing pretty good, my friend, on this planet. Hallelujah. Don't invest. Don't don't get tangled up in this world so much that you can't invest in the world to come, my friend. Hallelujah to God. Amen. Can I I, I preach a message? And uh, this thing's sliding on me a little bit. Everybody hear me pretty good? Everybody okay? All right, good. I uh, I preach a message uh, sometimes to teenagers, and I, I found out as I studied teenagers, I find out there's a lot of entanglements that entangle teenagers. There's a lot of things out there that that the devil uses to get teenagers out of church. I got a, a small list here. I got three things I'll give you uh, that that are entanglements that get teenagers out of church. Number one, I find that jobs are entanglements. Oftentimes, get teenagers out of church. Fourteen years old, they're on fire for God, and then they get a job at Kroger, bagging groceries, doing something for minimum wage, working a silly, petty little job, and all of a sudden some God-hating, somebody who doesn't even know God, a manager writes their name on a schedule at a job somewhere and says, all right, I want you to work from 11 o'clock till 6 o'clock on Sunday. And teenagers that don't have parents that back them and teach them the right and godly ways of this world will say, you got to go to work. And by the way, I find it funny. They don't schedule them for early, early Sunday morning so they can get off about 9 o'clock and come to church. They always schedule them right during church time. They always call them into work at 11 o'clock Sunday morning, and that way they have to miss church, and they make them work till 8 o'clock Sunday night, so they have to miss the Sunday evening service too. So I find that jobs are oftentimes entanglements for teenagers, pulling them out of the will of God, pulling them out of the fight. Can I give you another thing too? I didn't come here to preach on teenagers tonight, but I think this is, uh, this is good. Amen. Somebody say amen right there. Uh, can I tell you that oftentimes I find that, especially teenage girls, that a boyfriend... Oftentimes can be an entanglement. Oh, their heart set on Jesus Christ till some weirdo, one direction looking Justin Bieber looking something or another walks in with too much moose in his hair. Hey man, too much moose in his hair singing singing about two notes uh, lower than a chipmunk. Talking about, oh, baby, 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 baby. Let me tell you something. If you're dating something that has longer eyelashes than you, you don't have a boyfriend, you have a girlfriend. Amen. Hey, man, right there. 
find it weird, teenage girls. They don't want nothing that has a job. They don't want nothing that has a, has a car or has a truck. They want something that looks like a girl. Well, amen. All right. Somebody go, stri- somebody go start my car for me. I'm in trouble. Amen. I should leave Justin Bieber alone. She doesn't deserve half the criticism I give her. Let me give you this also. I, I find in teenagers' lives that entertainment can often be a snare. Can I tell you the, the uh, playoffs are on today? NFL. Can I tell you that I think the most least attended service amongst independent fundamental premium little King James only by believe Baptist people is the Super Bowl Sunday? What are you doing? Get, if you're so worried about it, get your DVR and record the thing and don't talk to nobody. And go home after church and watch the thing. Amen. Well, that anyway, I'm sorry. That's teenage entanglements. Let me give you some adult entanglements real quick. <clears throat> Number one's pleasure. Vacation time. Man, I, I know. I mean, look, vacation time ought to have church time in there too. Taking a vacation from your job, don't take a vacation from God. People take vacations from God all the time. Let me give you another entanglement. You get offended. Adults get offended. I can preach. I can preach my guts out to teenagers and preach against everything in the world to teenagers, but adults are the ones that get offended. I mean, a teenager. I can go. I can stand up in front of a group, crowd of people and say Ozzy Osbourne is out of hell. And if you listen to that stuff, you're poison in your mind. And a teenager will get on fire for God and grab all their CDs and take their CDs and say, "I'm throwing all this junk away." And as they're walking to the trash can, Mama says, "What are you doing?" I bought that CD for you, and you ain't throwing in the trash. Getting offended. Adults get offended. Am I preaching the truth tonight, church? Am I offending anybody? Everybody okay? All right. Everybody good? All right. Amen. Well, let me give you another entanglement. Money is an entanglement for adults. Get so worried about things, and I mean, you know, I mean, people, if you watch TV today, half the commercials are how to get into debt. And then the other half, the commercials, how to get out of debt. Can I tell you something? I mean, debt, debt, debt. What are you doing with debt, debt, debt? I don't like debt. I hate owing. I, I mean, I hate owing. I hate that kind of stuff. But there's people that are so, so involved and so deep in the debt, they have to work all the time. And they ain't got no time to go witnessing to nobody, no time to go soul winning, no time to even go to church sometimes. Let me tell you something. Money can be an entanglement. And he that warreth for God, if you're going to be in this fight, you cannot entangle yourself in the affairs of this life, my friend. So there's a condition to enter into. And lastly, I'll give you this, and I, I won't be long after this. And, and I, yes, I am a Baptist preacher, so I am lying when I say that, okay? There's a consequence to enjoy. There's a conflict to be engaged. There's a condition to enter into. And there's a consequence to enjoy. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life. Notice this, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier Can I tell you something? If you don't please God with your life, then nothing really matters about your life. Can I tell you something? I'm not... Look, look, a lot of people get hung up on this. But look, there's things that I do. I don't do them in order to earn my salvation. Okay? But I do them because I want my life to please God. 
I want my life to be acceptable in the eyes of the Lord Jesus Christ because I know there's a day where I'm going to the judgment seat of Christ and I know that all of my works will be placed on an altar and they'll be burned. And if, if I did them in the wrong motive, they'll be burned up. And if I did the wrong thing, it'll be burned up. And I want my life to be well-pleasing unto God. I want to read this verse to you, 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. And this is a, a wonderful verse according to this, about this uh, thing I'm talking about here. 2 Corinthians 5, 9 says, Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. You know, uh, I read this not too long ago. I, I believe David Brainerd said this. He said, Guilt, guilt is your soul sensing the frown of God. Guilt is your soul sensing the frown of God. And joy is your soul sensing the smile of God. Can I tell you, I, I, I love football playing. I, I, I look, I'm 31 now. I'm not an old man, but I look back on it now. I wish I never played football because I can, I mean, even now, I, can, I, my, I still hurt from some of the things that happened on a football field in high school. And I know some of you don't. Believe me, but I, I do. I hurt, okay? I hurt from some of the things that happened to me. My, sh my right shoulder today, I took a hit in high school. My shoulder came out, and even to this day, I can barely get on a bench press machine. I mean, it hurts me to this day uh, to lay on that shoulder, all that kind of stuff. But I remember one time we were, uh, we were at Decula High School in Decula, Georgia. I was, on, I was a starting strong safety on the freshman football team, okay? We had just come out of middle school. We were, we were in ninth grade now, and they had a special team of ninth graders so that we didn't have to go play the varsity guys that would kill us okay uh, so we had a special league just for ninth graders in the Gwinnett County public school system only ninth graders could play in the special league that we had and we played 10 games a year well in between eighth grade and ninth grade I went to it we moved so I went to a different district and I remember in eighth grade there was this kid named Mickey Malden Mickey Malden at and at, at the age of 14 years old was six foot eight Okay, I mean, we grew them big. There's something in the water in Atlanta. It's weird. Okay, uh, my little brother uh, at the age of 12 years old played against a guy. Uh, he plays for the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers now. Name's Hayward. And at 12 years old, Daniel Hayward was six foot two, 252 pounds. Had a full mustache at 12 years old. I shook his hand and said, "Great game, son." He said, "Thank you very much." And uh, Scared me to death. Put, putting your hand out, shaking his hand, was like putting your hand in a stump hole. I mean, he was weird, man. And he plays for the Steelers today. But uh, ninth grade, we, we, I, I changed school, and I, we were playing Central Gwinnett High School. And I knew that Mickey Malden was the tight end on the offense of Central Gwinnett High School. And me, how many are with me? How many know what I'm talking about? Okay, I'm, I'm playing strong safety, and I know it's going to be my job to cover Mickey Malden. I was five foot nine in ninth grade, 145 pounds. You can't tell that anymore. I, I'm just a few pounds over that now, all right? I'm in the neighborhood of 200 pounds. It's a big neighborhood, all right? But I knew playing strong safety, I knew standing there, lining up with the linebackers, I knew that I'd have to stand there and look at Mickey Malden, and I knew that whatever pass route Mickey Malden, all six foot eight, 235 pounds of them, I knew that I had to cover this guy, and I didn't know how it was going to happen. So they lined up, we kicked it off to them, they brought it back, they ran a few run plays up the middle, up the middle, up the middle, and it got to be about third and five. 
And on a third and five situation, you always throw to the tight end and you always throw in the flat if you're a quarterback. Anybody know what I'm talking about here today? Okay, all right. You always throw it to the tight end. That's why, that's why Tom Brady and what's his name? Gronkowski always connect so well. And, uh, and I mean, just you always throw it to the tight end and you always throw it to the flat. That meant me standing there as a strong safety. He was going to come up to me and he was going to run to the sideline and I had to run with him the whole time. Well, something happened. He came up at me, and as he was coming to turn, he pushed me over, and I fell right on my back, which is illegal, by the way. Dirty, filthy cheater from Central Gwinnett High School. To this day, I still hate him. Amen. He pushed me, and I fell. Well, sure enough, I got up, and look, I looked at the quarterback, and the quarterback's looking over there at him, and I thought, oh, man, i got to get over there. So with all of my might and all of my strength, I knew he was going to throw that ball to the tight end. I just ran and ran and ran. I didn't even look at the ball because I knew it was coming. And sure enough, Mickey Maud looked over his shoulder. He got that ball, and he began to turn up field to go and try to get a touchdown. Well, as he turned... As he turned, he caught the ball, and he turned upfield. As he turned, I met him right there. And I hit him with everything that I had. And I don't know to this day how it happened. I closed my eyes and screamed like a woman. I don't even know what happened. But they told me that Mickey Malden, as soon as he caught that ball, turned upfield. They said I hit him right in the mouth, and he fell flat on his back out of bounds for a four-yard gain. You know, that made it, made it fourth and one. And I got up, and I realized I was blind out of my left eye. And I said, Coach, help me! I said, something's wrong! And he grabbed my helmet and turned it around the right way. And I, re- I, I came to, and I realized what happened. My coach is sitting there going, Yeah! And I realized I stopped him before he got the first down. And my coach is going, yeah! And my teammates are going, yeah! And I looked up in the stands over them, and I saw my daddy. And my daddy's going, I broke my microphone, even. My daddy's going, that's my boy! You know what I did? Please, my daddy. This microphone's all messed up. I'm going to take it off. You know what I did? I pleased my daddy. My daddy was so proud of me. I ran around that field screaming, hollering like a Comanche Indian for the rest of the game. I was out there.